Hello, beloveds. It's me, Lark, here at the top letting you know that we have new merch. We have now magnets, stickers, and pins, all of which say Queer IRL Witch on them. They're really great, and you can get those for 13% off in our shop for the rest of Pride Month, along with everything else in our shop, with the exception of our very, very exciting limited run t-shirt that is not on sale because it is a fundraiser for the Neutral Zone, the amazing teen center in the town where Kaylee, the interview guest on our last episode, lives, where they taught her to DJ, where they have a queer prom. It's a really good cause, so it doesn't make sense for that shirt to be on sale. However, it does make sense for you to buy it. It says, Erase Pettigrew, Not Bisexuality, which, what could be better than that? So that t-shirt will be available through July 11th, one month from when the episode aired, and we will order only as many as you order. So if you buy it now, expect delivery still around mid-July. So just head over to thegailyprofit.com slash shop where you can get literally everything you could possibly need. You can find us on facebook and instagram at the gaily prophet on our website thegailyprofit.com where you can find our comics and our awesome merch and if you want to further support us you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash the gaily prophet gay people love puns i'm dead <laughs> we have to stop this podcast <laughs> this book causes satanism what is left for us to rant about there is nothing straight about plum velvet <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when i said that <laughs> monocles are impractical but hot i don't for a second believe that she is a straight person i mean i'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva mcgonagall let's talk about <laughs> harry potter hello and welcome to the gaily prophet a podcast or two queer irl witches interview other people about harry potter because it's pride month and that's what we wanted to do i am america's favorite griffin dandy lark malachi gray and i am griffin dyke extraordinaire jesse blount and uh welcome to our our third pride interview Woohoo! Our guest today is david minerva clover a queer and trans writer artist and parent you can find his writing mostly about parenting and queer stuff all over the internet. He's a Ravenclaw who kind of wishes he was a Hufflepuff, and after a lot of soul-searching, he thinks his Patronus is a duck-billed dinosaur. We are going to get further into some of those things in this discussion. Hi, David. Hi. Thank you so much for talking with us. So, you write about parenting, and you want to talk to us we want to talk to you. All the talking <laughs> wants to happen about parenting in Harry Potter, which we're really excited about. And we can obviously stray from there. There were a couple other things that you mentioned wanting to talk about. If we get there, that's great. Yeah, cool. But I'm super, I'm like super excited to Sweet. talk about this. I, when I, when we first ripped into the Weasleys, I was on a, a dog walk with my partner and I was telling him about like what we had talked about. And I was just like, 
being like, we're just alienating all of our listeners. Just like, we hate Dumbledore. We hate the Weasleys. Throw them away. Like, no more listeners. It's just me and Jesse shouting into the void. So I honestly, you said that you want to talk about the Weasleys as bad parents. I was so relieved. The Weasleys are so fucking hard. Like, it's, they're so fucking hard to deal with because it's like, they are, I feel like, and I'm not up to date on where you guys are on the podcast. I haven't listened to the latest episodes because... We just got back to Hogwarts in the second book. Yeah, so I feel like the Weasleys are presented as like this sort of like foil to the Dursleys, like especially in book two where it's supposed to be this thing where you're like, oh, like the Dursleys are obviously like you know, very classic, abusive parents. And then the Weasleys are supposed to be presented as, like, oh, they're this this very, like, loving, quirky household where, like, you know, things can be a little bit messy and it's supposed to feel very nurturing. And Molly Weasley is supposed to be, like, aggressive, but, like, in a charming way. And it just, like... Yeah, it just doesn't... It doesn't sit right with me at all. And then especially revisiting it after having, like, an actual human child. I, like, every time Molly opens her mouth, I'm like, but you can't, you can't talk to your kids that way. That's really (laughs) shitty. Yep. It It sure is the way that she talks to her kids. Yeah, it's really, yeah, and I just, like... And even in book one, the thing where, like, she doesn't even know what kind of sandwiches Ron likes or doesn't yes. like. And I'm like, dude, you got to get it together. She, like, refuses to accept that he doesn't love the color maroon through yeah, the entire series. Like, that's what? That's creepy. Like, that's creepy. Yeah, it's it's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, it's weird because it's, like, that stuff that, like, my mom, who is not great at all, does, where it's, like... The years that she, like, forgot that I was a vegetarian. And I'm like... So I'm kind of like... But Molly Weasley isn't positioned to be, like, a terrible parent. But it's also kind of like... Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, like, most of the parents in the books are really bad, right? The Malfoys are obviously bad parents. Yeah. The Dursleys are bad parents. Neville's grandmother is pretty abusive. It's a shit show. Like, there's no... there. There's very few decent adults and no good parents. That's the thing. But, like, the idea that the Weasleys are supposed to seem, like, positive, even in comparison, is a little bit, like... <sighs> Hagrid is a good parent. Yeah. She's not actually a parent, but she's right. a very good parent. Right. She's, like, the only good parent that we have in the books, I think. Yeah. And I feel like Sirius is a good parent in as much as he's able to be for the short time that he's in Harry's life to an extent. Like, there's a lot of issue involved in his, like, mixing up of, like, Harry with James. But, like, in terms of Harry being like, I need someone to be here for me, Sirius steps up. In a way that is, like, non-judgmental and, like, is present that I feel like I appreciate. Yeah, I think he's a decent mentor, which is, seems like it should be a low bar, but again, compared to all the other adults, (laughs) it's like, whoa. 
And especially yeah. like the adults in Harry's life who are like supposed to have his best interest at heart, where I feel like Sirius is like one of the few adults, if maybe the only adult who is like, I'm actually hearing you say what you need and I am here to like give that to you. And Remus. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I would say Remus probably for me. Remus might be the best adult. Yeah. I mean, God, Harry would have been so well adjusted if he had been <laughs> raised by his godfathers. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. He would have been so well off. Yeah. Can we, I would be interested to hear and like dig into the Dursleys specifically in the differences between the bad parenting they give to Harry and the bad parenting they give to Dudley, which I think is like touched on in the books for sure. Yeah. Maybe like once where Dumbledore is like, Harry escaped the terrible things you did to Dudley. Yeah, it's in like the second to last book. Yeah. Yeah. But that's sort of like all we, all the books give us in terms of recognizing that abuse. Yeah. Um, okay. So, like, coming at it from, like, a parenting perspective and a little bit of, like, a parenting nerd perspective. So there's different sort of ideologies and, like, parenting philosophies. And one that I'm fairly interested in as a parent is the positive parenting movement. It basically coming at raising kids from a perspective of assuming that children have good intentions, which they almost always do, um, and assuming, like, coming at it from assuming that children are human beings worthy of respect, right? Like, first and foremost, and that they have good intentions and that our job is to kind of steward them and help them through life and give them the support that they need so that they can make their own positive choices versus us making positive choices for them, right? So, like, most people in our generation were raised in households that had a very authoritarian parenting bent, which is, like, a totally different philosophy where the prevailing idea is that um, you have to discipline children so that you can kind of push them into making the positive choices that you've already made for them and that the only way to control them to do that is to, you know, it's it's top down. And the thing that I find really interesting about authoritarian parenting is that it's so prevalent in our society, it's so normal, that we don't, like for most people, myself included, that's our default. That's where our brains go kind of by default. That's like, you know, if we're not, if we're not trying, that's where we'll, where we'll end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the attitude from authoritarian parenting is that there's only one other alternative. Authoritarian parents tend to view the world in either you are a disciplinarian or you're permissive. Mm. And so they tend to view anything that isn't authoritarian as permissive parenting. And permissive parenting is also really bad. Like, it's also really dangerous and it's also damaging. So I see the Dursleys and the different parenting that they give Harry 
and Dudley as like they're polar opposites on like a spectrum. Like the two sides of that coin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's that you know, it's two kind of opposite sides of the same coin, but it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. part of it's a it, it comes from the same attitude initially, right? Mm-hmm. Like when in reality there's tons of different ways to raise kids and there's tons of different attitudes about what kids are and what kind of nurturing they need and what kind of discipline they may or may not need all over the world. But the Dursleys are coming at it from a very authoritarian bent where they can only imagine being really aggressive and, like, you know, disciplining to the point of abuse. And with Harry specifically, because they're afraid of his nature, they're afraid of the possibility of him being magical from his infancy... So they're really trying to discipline him to push him down this other road. Whereas with Dudley, they assume that he's going to naturally go on the path they want him to go on. So they're completely permissive to the point of, you know, both of those attitudes, I think, are unhelpful because they don't teach kids basic survival skills that they're going to need just to live in the world. They don't teach them emotional regulation. They don't teach them problem solving. They don't teach them resourcefulness. All of these things that you're going to need when you're an adult, you don't get that from either having everything handed to you or being so tightly controlled that you never get to make your own choices. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. yeah I. Sorry, go ahead, Jesse. I was just saying that like it's, it's interesting that you that you say that probably like IRL like having sort of that kind of controlling authoritarian authoritarian upbringing would mean that you would have kids who are like much less resourceful. But it's interesting that like that's kind of one of like Harry's like strong suits that I feel like the book sort of is comes like quote unquote like naturally to him in a way that's like yeah. That's totally unrealistic. Yeah. And I feel like, because I feel like we've, we've talked a little bit about Harry being as well adjusted as he is, considering his abuse seems like totally just like, uh, like as much fantasy as like a fucking Patronus. Like, let's be yeah. real. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that really gets into, um, and I, I think you guys touched on this before, but like the first book, especially the beginning of the first book, reads a lot. Like, you can read the Roald Dahl influence in it very, very heavily. And I feel like that's part of the Roald Dahl fantasy, right? Is that, like, you have these kids who are just, like, horrifically abused. But they're fine, and they're good, and they're peppy, and they're resourceful, and they can figure things out. Right. Um, And they just need to get out of that abusive environment, and then they'll be fine. Um, Which is kind of a nice fantasy because it maybe says something about like the resiliency of humans but it's a fantasy in real life when people are that tightly controlled what happens is they finally get out of their parents house or their guardian's house and they don't know how to function and they have a nervous breakdown yeah like that's the typical trajectory for people or they just like do like go wild right and just like do whatever they want super intensely yeah and yeah and i feel like 
I mean, I've definitely met people who are both ends of that spectrum. And yes. I feel like, and then, and then I feel like the other end of that is me and people who are like Dudley, where they grew up like thinking that like they were just the hot shit and they could do whatever they want and then they can't function. Cause it's like, no one else is going to cater to you the way that your parents who have built their entire lives around you essentially. And like, Right. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of that is does seem like a lot of it is maybe more Petunia than Vernon. But I don't think so. I mean, Vernon is just very like in the background of it. Like Petunia very much is like responsible for like deciding what happens with Dudley and Vernon. It's just like yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the nature of their, like, patriarchal relationship, right? Is that Vernon is taking a backseat on a lot of the parenting stuff. But I think he's also very, like, like, anytime Dudley misbehaves at school, Vernon's like, oh, that's just because he's my boy and he's strong. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah, I did childcare as my, like, primary job for 15 years. And... I, like, still remember, I think I was 20 when I started working for this family and, like, witnessed the mom say to a toddler who had, like, asked her to do something, I have a headache and I can't do that with you right now. I need to go lay down for a while. And the two-year-old be like, okay, and walk into the (laughs) living room and, like, play Candyland alone. And I was like... Everything that I know about how children work has been wrong. Like, yeah. Oh, like I knew you just like talk to them like people and whatever. Yeah. But like, I obviously was always just like a friend and would just be like, nah, dude, we have to like take a nap now. But I was like, oh, you can just say like, I don't feel good right now. Please go away. And, and they it can understand that. that well. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. These are very intense. And that's. So that's the other thing, and I I feel like you guys probably touched on this too. I, I think I remember that you did. But um, even, like, so the Dursleys are super terrible parents, like shockingly terrible parents. But, again, going back to all of the adults in this, these books being awful, like, even the other adults' conception of why the Dursleys are terrible parents is also wrong. Like, in the first book... Um, McGonagall's criticism of of the Dursleys is that Dudley was kicking his mother screaming for sweets and like that the, the implication is like that he was allowed to do that you know proves that he's awful and they're awful parents and he was one he was literally exactly one and I'm like <laughs> screaming into my book that's developmentally appropriate. <laughs> like, like, that's normal. I don't know what... what well, like, what do you expect from babies? Do you guys know what babies are? Does anyone in this book know what a baby is? I don't think they do. I feel like... I feel like the way that, like, children are treated before they reach Hogwarts is, like, varying degrees of terrible and horrifying. Like, I just, yes. I, like, there is, there, I feel like just everyone we see who is, like, grown up as a witch, it's kind of like, there is just some, I just, I feel like it's like, it feels like whatever, like, 
weird like fundy homeschool people go through that's what i was just gonna say is that like we okay so if they don't go to formal school until they start hogwarts are we assuming they're being homeschooled they have to be because they know some stuff and then it yeah there's like a very clear allegory to like american fundamentalist homeschooling which i have to say whenever i talk about homeschooling that i know some homeschooling families who are wonderful and they're lovely people and their children are lovely and they're doing a good job. Some of them are doing a good job because they actually have education degrees, (laughs) but the homeschooling movement as a whole in our country is super dangerous and super messed up and often little more than a smokescreen for abuse, which feels very much like what must be going on in all of these terrible wizarding families. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the amount of, cause I mean, there's a lot of like joking, quote unquote, joking abuse of like whenever Neville talks about his childhood, which is horrifying, but I feel like that, <laughs> that has got to be the norm. I feel like even kids like, Malfoy, who clearly have a silver spoon in their mouth. Like, there must have been some kind of, like, weird, like, fucked up corporal punishment shit that was happening. Absolutely. Well, I mean, his dad is, like, so domineering. Like, I feel like he he's a different kind of Dudley in a lot of ways, where he's, like, very, very spoiled, but has been raised that, like, his emotions are absolutely inappropriate. So, like... He gets whatever he wants, but, like, whereas Dudley can act out, like, Draco has to, like, swallow and internalize all of his feelings. He has to be very reserved. Yeah. Yeah. Except not because he's such a drama queen. (laughs) Like, Well, right. I mean, he's at school and he's acting out. Yeah. I don't know. I used to read a lot of blogs of, like, ex-homeschoolers, like, people who were raised in, like, creepy fundamentalist homeschooling families and now are like atheists Mm -hmm. and and that's so like familiar it's so much of the pattern of like kids who are like literally literally just hit for showing any any negative emotions you know like crying or yelling or any of any of that stuff that's unpleasant for parents like i'm not gonna lie it is unpleasant but when you're you know when your result when your response to that is to just try to literally beat it out of a kid, like you get a very specific result. And a person like Malfoy, like he is not like Lucius Malfoy. He is not going to, he's patriarchal to, to this point where a guy like that is not going to be nice to his kids. Like that's not, that's not how a person like that works. And I feel like what we see of him sort of on camera is um, he's grooming Malfoy to be the next generation of patriarch, right? So he's expecting Malfoy to be domineering in the same way that he's domineering. But that's definitely, you know, the way he expects Draco to treat others is the way that Draco was probably treated when he was younger and weaker. 
Yeah, I feel like in Draco's case, it's more like what's modeled for him as opposed to like, like, I feel like his parents are very like wealthy parent hands off. Like, that's true. I don't know. He makes me think about a lot of families in the Gilmore Girls is mostly what like Draco's upbringing. It's like no one was like actively abusing these rich kids. Like their abuse comes from like absentee parents who model like absolutely never is it appropriate for you to show emotion like maybe draco had a governess right exactly for or, sure or, or he had like i mean jesse thinks house, a house elf i think he had like three house elves that were just his friends growing up that just like but if they him. were his friends he would be a very different kid that's true he was probably discouraged from being friends with them though yeah yeah I would imagine that a family like theirs would have, like, most of the grunt work done by house elves, but at least one human servant to do the, at least some aspects of the child care. How would that work with them, given that it seems to be the case for the most part that being pure blood means that you're wealthy, and they think anyone who's not pure blood is, like, not even worth being, like, in the same room? They couldn't hire like a muggle-born governess because right, but yeah. they they could hire they could hire like a like second daughter whatever kind of like you know yeah. bullshit like regency shit kind of deal. I think if I think if we go back to the allegory of like IRL with rich people, you see it too that they're you know the people who are taking care of their kids are often not white. Um, they're often lower class or working class people that then, you know, they raise the kids and then the kids are taught to look down on them. Yeah. And they're able to like pull that switcheroo with them where they go from like, oh, this is the person who's giving you like all of the support and comfort and actual parenting labor that your parents can't or won't do. And then... But also, you're not supposed to value that person. Right. Because they're not actually valuable. Yep. How do you guys think, like, Neville's household looked when he was growing up? Was he just sort of, like, running free in a, like, non, non-caring household? Or, like... Because I feel like... I don't know. Based on the ways that, like, he describes his family trying to, like, surprise the magic out of him. It makes me feel like he basically was just, like, ignored. And then they were, like, noticing, would notice, like, oh, he still doesn't seem to be a magical kid. We, like, do a thing. And then he's just, like, this delicate little flower. And so, like, ignored is worse than, like, almost anything (laughs) that could happen to him. I can't believe that he's... A Leo. Like, I think that's the most ridiculous thing <laughs> in the entire world. No, I think that I I think that kind of the opposite. I think that Neville shows to me signs of being in a really tightly controlled environment. Hmm. Um, really since day one. I think that it's like tightly controlled, but also with like no hmm no opportunity to build any kind of self-confidence because his grandmother is constantly comparing him to his dead parents and constantly reminding him that his parents are so much better than he could ever be. 
so she's going into this environment with his grandmother who's grieving her son. Wait, no, they're not dead. They're... I mean, they're they're basically brain dead, kind of like the magical equivalent of that. Yeah. So yeah. he, so she, so Gran, in this environment, like, so Gran is grieving her son, who's still technically alive, and has gone through this horrific ordeal, and now she's also taking care of like a baby, which is not excused her terrible care of Neville, but I think it gives it context. Yeah. So, of course she does a shitty job. Like, of course she does, because no one would do an excellent job in that scenario. Especially not if there's no therapy. (laughs) And there's no therapy, and everyone is a terrible parent, and everyone had terrible parents, and there's no questioning of that in the wizarding world for whatever reason. So, Jesse described... Neville's house as being haunted like his the memory of his parents just being Mm -hmm. like ghosts in that house and like I think Jesse you said like you imagine that they have like a bedroom there that's like undisturbed and exactly as it was when they left and so I feel like that right yeah (laughs) so that's really like shaped how I've thought about Neville's upbringing this dog one second (laughs) um and i guess has sort of like for me it's created this like dickensian idea of what his upbringing is where he is like 95 percent ignored and then five percent given rules like that's how i imagine neville's upbringing is where he's supposed to be like children should be seen but not heard but when he is interacted with, it's, like, cold and to, like, give him instruction. Yeah. But most of the time he's just, like, what I'm not allowed to do is disturb my grandmother. Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible to be, like, tightly controlling and neglectful at the same time. Right. right. Like, Which is exactly is what that would be. Yeah. I could see that. Let's talk about the Weasleys more in depth. Yeah, let's go there. So, like, the book wants us to be like, the Weasleys are the perfect family. Uh Uh-huh. I think that talking about the issues with... I think Molly and Arthur have different issues in terms of, like, parenting and, like, their relationship is something that's worth discussing on its own. But, like, Molly's relationship with her kids and her parenting style, I think, is most interesting in the context of the twins. Okay, yeah. Because even though she, like, has some really fucked up issues, like, gender-specifically fucked up issues with Bill, like, her whole thing with the twins is fucked up. You know, she's... Can I actually? Can we do? Can we do one other thing? Yeah, Let's definitely. Live. So, the books really want us to look at Molly and Arthur in terms of, um, like, the people who are criticizing Molly and Arthur for having a lot of kids are criticizing them for having a lot of kids because they're poor, mm. and that's fucked up. And we shouldn't criticize poor people for having whatever number of kids they have. I think we can all agree on that poor people can have kids (laughs) but 
It's also mentioned a couple of times as like a throwaway statement that maybe the reason they have so many kids is because Molly was desperate for a daughter. Totally. And so they just kept having more kids because Molly wasn't getting the kids she wanted. Yep. Yeah, I think we can Which definitely Which is a real that. thing. I, it sure is. a real is. thing that happens. I knew a family growing up that had exactly that dynamic, only they never got that coveted girl at the end. My dad told me about a family in his neighborhood when he grew up. They had 13 children because it took them 13 times before they got a girl. Well, and some, like some people who make sperm just can't make X sperm. Yeah. They don't so, know anything about that in the witching world. Uh, no. That is nonsense. Yeah. Muggle yeah. science. Don't yes. even talk about exactly. that right now. Exactly. So, um, so I just, Wait, we like, have a policy I, that Jessie has to finish whenever she starts talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good policy. Sorry. Jessie, I'm just like, it just occurred to me, like, wouldn't there be some kind of magic charm to be like... <laughs> This is going to be, like, this kid's going to have a vagina. Like, this is what I'm looking for. Like, right? Yeah, you'd think. And, like, Molly but Weasley is be... fierce. Like, she could definitely do that charm or potion. To... But I existed. feel like then you'd have to know something about human reproduction, which the wizarding world have a very medieval well, attitude wait, and knowledge though, because Because... There are a lot of things like herbal remedies and like acupuncture points and stuff like that where like they were like this works because like this plant kind of looks like a lung so it helps your lungs and like now with science we're like it helps because it's an expectorant and so I think they could have a potion that worked without having any idea of how it interacted with your biology. I think that's a thing. That's I guess that's potentially true. I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of like they have this very I don't know like I've been really really into medieval attitudes about sex and gender lately because (laughs) it's like a thing that I'm like oh man um like medieval people believe that it was impossible to conceive unless the female partner orgasmed would our which society like, be better off if we still like, believed that? <laughs> which is, like, obviously not totally correct, but also, like, I don't know, I love that tidbit because it just kind of turns everything that you think you know about all of these, like, loveless medieval marriages just to produce an heir, like, completely on its head, and yeah. you're like, oh, wait, something very different was going on in those bedrooms than what I was assuming. Somehow, between then and, like, the 70s, we forgot that the female orgasm existed, and then it had to be discovered again. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I blame yeah. colonialism, let's be real. Yeah, yeah I, You know, uh, Cromwells were a big... Yeah. Um, so, like... I guess, so my, I guess my perspective is, like, that they seem to have a very, like, medieval knowledge base about a lot of things, including human reproduction. And I guess it is possible that they could have had a a potion or something that would work, even if they didn't know how it worked. Um, But I guess that just hadn't occurred to me, because there isn't, like, a medieval allegory to that right like all of the methods that we've had to control 
the sex of a fetus have been completely ineffective historically, right? Um, so, uh, but I guess, so my point with, with really Bali specifically is that if they're continuing to have children because Molly wants a girl and she's not getting the girl and so she keeps having kids, I think that makes sense if you track it onto Molly's relationship with her individual children. Like, as you go down in age through the boys, she's getting progressively more frustrated with everything about her sons. Mm -hmm. Like, she's... she's Deep, you know, so what is it? It's Bill's the oldest one. Mm-hmm. Bill, Charlie, Percy, the twins, Ron, Jenny. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, you know, I guess Percy gets a little bit off the hook because he's just so type A and his mother loves that. But. And then he's the one that, like, betrays the family. Right, <laughs> right. But other than that, like, you really, I just really seems like there's, like, a downward slide of, like, with each, like, subsequent boy, she's just, like, more, like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I think you see that with the twins, and you see that with Ron in the level of neglect and just, like, exasperation that she has, not just for their behavior, but for, like, literally everything about their personalities. Yeah, I feel like, too, it could be that, like, the twins are so different. I think we get the impression that they're so different from their older brothers, and then they have a very strong influence on their younger siblings. That's true. And, like, I think that it is a thing in big families where, like, the younger siblings who are, like, quote-unquote corrupted by their, like, Mm -hmm. older sibling get punished for sort of like being susceptible to that like i mean even just like at at my dad's like once my dad remarried there were five of us okay and i was the second oldest and basically once i hit like middle school and was still the way that i had always had been my dad was like but you can't continue to be this way because like now you're like you have to think about the influence that you're having on your younger siblings and looking back I can definitely see the way that that was taken out on my brother and sister one of my one of my like stepbrothers was just sort of like in his own world but like the two that I was close with were very much like punished for emulating me oh yeah yeah. In a way that was different from the way that I was punished for, like, being a bad influence by, yeah. like, you know, shopping at Hot Topic and dyeing my hair orange. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. Terrible influence on the children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, I feel I like I see done. that in Molly, where it's yeah. like, Bill, Charlie, and Percy are all sort of like, okay, cool, like, you did your thing, you were, like, on the Quidditch team, you were prefects, you were head boy, like... You have good jobs. Like, I hate your hair. Stop wearing earrings. Like, you're not doing gender right, but, like, you're still (laughs) fine. And then, like, the twins come along, and they are totally different from the older ones. And then they deeply influence Ron and Ginny. Ginny gets a get-out-of-jail-free card because she's a girl. So Ron, like, really gets the brunt of it, where it's like, you weren't a girl, and... 
you're like bad because you like let your older brothers influence you in a way that I've told you not to. Yeah. I also, I also want to throw in, which literally hasn't occurred to me until this exact conversation that like two minutes ago was that Ginny and Ron are only like a year apart. So part of, I'm sure what Ron is like, why doesn't she know my favorite color or what I like is because they're a year apart. Molly is 110% focused on Ginny and probably not as much focused on Ron. You know? I just looked up there. So Ron was born in March and Ginny was born the following August, which is like, yeah, Ron and Ginny super close in age. And when you have kids that close in age, it's almost impossible not to be focused on the younger one because babies have more dramatic needs and also she really wanted a girl and finally got her cries so that whole dynamic also i think i have a neighbor who's super into like the psychology of birth order and how birth order affects kids development and there was this older study that was republished a while back that was was from the 70s, so factors are certainly different now, but maybe not in the wizarding world, um, about, like, kids' later success in life compared to their birth order. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that the most successful people were eldest sons. Like, across the board, like, if you want to get ahead in life, if you want to make more money, if you want to be more successful, like, eldest sons, if that's the way to go. Basically, like, being male gives you an advantage. And then having any amount, of, the more older brothers you have, the more disadvantaged you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of birth order. Older sisters, only slightly disadvantaging. Older brothers, way more disadvantaging. Hmm. So in a family like the Weasleys, like, it's not just, I think partly it's that Molly is exasperated that she keeps having these kids and still isn't having a girl. Mm-hmm. And it's partly the stuff that you're talking about, about how kids influence each other and how that plays out in the family dynamic. But also, like, Bill and Charlie especially have a massive advantage that there weren't a ton of other kids yeah. When they were little. So they got more one-on-one attention. Presumably their parents were less exhausted. You know, still exhausted because all parents are a little bit exhausted. Yeah. But their parents were less exhausted, were able to give them more attention, were able to be maybe a little bit more empathetic and reasonable with them. I feel like we see, though... I struggling right now to remember like what book this happens in but there's a time when bill and charlie are both home and molly is screaming at someone mm-hmm. and they do the like let's go outside and just let her finish this which mm-hmm. i feel like indicates that they dealt with that also oh, yeah. during their upbringing i'm sure i'm sure she was always a screamer but uh but the dynamic in the household was definitely much different yeah. when it was, you know, maybe like two young kids and a baby yeah. versus, you know, what it is when we first like get a glimpse into their household, which is 
you know, there's two adult kids who are sort of off screen. And then uh, how many kids are in the house? Five. Five, yeah. I do wonder just because Bill and Charlie are maybe some of the, besides being some of the first people who like have like non-ministry jobs are like, also they move the farthest away. Like, like Charlie's in Romania and Bill's in Egypt for a majority of the series. And it's like, you moved really far away to be just, I mean, I mean, not to say that you couldn't, do either of the things that, like, obviously they have very, like, very specific sort of interests in their careers, but it's like, there are dragons in the UK, allegedly, and, like, yeah. I'm sure other kind of work for Gringotts you could be doing, but they both chose to go hella far away. <laughs> so, That's I always kind really of... Do you want to stay close to home if your mom was molly weasley i mean no and that's why i think that like even with in a household where maybe there's like right it was like only like they're growing up like three kids in the house there were still must have been something that they were like you know what i'm out (laughs) as soon as soon as the ink is dry on my hogwarts diploma you've got to figure too that with bill and charlie by the time they're in hogwarts all those other kids or at least most of them have been born they're just not in school yet, right? So by the time Bill and Charlie are leaving Hogwarts, there's a ton of little kids in the house. Right. Yeah. I feel like I used to know what their the the spacing between them, but I, feel I like probably I did. I know that the twins are two years older than Ron, but that's yeah. where my knowledge stops. The twins are two years older than Ron. Jenny and Ron are oh just over a year apart. Uh fucking pottermore sorry keep 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 talking while i find a not shitty website interesting to think about the weasleys like they're right they're this like very obvious like catholic allegory but then also it's weird to have that in this world where like given that everyone else who is like born into the witching world has like one or maybe two children there's clearly access to some kind of like very reliable birth control and it seems to be like the cultural norm that you will only have one or two children mm-hmm. which makes it like a very obvious choice that they made to have right. seven kids which breaks that catholic allegory like it's just kind of creates this like oh i did this thing but also like the thing doesn't make sense and it's a hot mess which is kind of everything which about maybe... the weasleys <laughs> She's so frazzled and overworked, but she creates dinner by pointing her wand at the stove. It's like, these things don't, you can't do all of these things at once. I don't know. It's just like the plotting really like breaks down when you look at the Weasley family. And then that almost makes me wonder if like the comments about the Weasleys having so many kids because they wanted a girl, if those are inserted because they must have access to birth control and they don't like... You know, like, J.K. probably didn't want to go there. J.K. probably didn't want to, like, be like, oh, and yeah, Molly, you know, has to have all these kids because she doesn't believe in magical diaphragms or whatever. Right, even she though thinks they, they're like, evil. don't like, have religion. Right, exactly, yeah. So it's, like, to keep religion out of it, they had to, like, give you some inkling of some reason that the Weasleys would have a, a gazillion kids. Yeah. Because otherwise... It just seems self-torturous for no reason. Because, like, I think Molly loves her kids, but she's clearly not happy. 
So I use the definition of love where it's a verb, in which Fair. case I'm like, can we honestly <laughs> say that Molly Weasley loves her kids? Like, if love is an action, what does she do to, like, demonstrate? Like, she knits them sweaters that feel uh, like alternately condescending or like make it very clear that she doesn't know what color that they like so like who is this for is it for them or is it for her she i don't know throw some things out there what does she do say what i will say is i think you're right i think that's a good a good call out i don't know that with that definition i would say molly weasley loves her kids i think molly weasley feels internal affection towards her children. Yes, I agree with you. That she manifests poorly. But even though she feels internal affection, it's clear to me that parenting is not fulfilling for her. It does not make her happy. Some people have a lot of kids and are emotionally fulfilled by that. Mm -hmm. Molly Weasley isn't one of those people. She's frustrated. She's tired. She's exasperated. Yeah, so I guess that's what I meant, is that, like, we have to have, or maybe we don't have to have, but maybe, like, there's there's a desire to have some kind of reason that the Weasleys would have so many kids when it clearly isn't improving their lives mm-hmm. at all. Like, it's not making it better for them, it's not making it better for the kids, so, like, and it can't be religion, because we're not going to go there. Right. <sighs> Yeah. People have a bunch of babies during the wartime? I don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because, I Maybe mean... that's it. Because I feel like for... Because I feel like we... The book hints at a little bit about that in between, like, the first rise of Voldemort and then even, yeah. like, when Harry is, like, you know, getting older and it's like, let's just have a bunch of babies during a war. And it's like, yeah. but why? Yeah. <laughs> why would yeah. you do that? And... Yeah. Sorry. So I found the dates of all of the Weasley kids birth years and oh god Jesus what Voldemort is (laughs) anyway so there is two years between Bill and Charlie four years between Charlie and Percy Uh, took them a little break there there's one year between Percy and the twins and then what da, 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 da. two years so uh, when you have twins you have to give it a minute that four years was when they argued constantly about whether or not they were going to try again for a girl and then once they committed to doing it they just went they all just the fuck went all the way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right so ron is born while voldemort is literally at the height of his power <laughs> it's like right yeah yeah i so, mean yeah, maybe wait is that like an 11 year span? Did you just do. Did I? Because Bill's born in ni- 1970. Yeah. Yeah, that's 11 years. That's 11 Which years is of having babies. How, but that's how long Voldemort, how the first war was happening, was 11 years. It yeah. tracks exactly. Although Jenny would have been after. Right. But yes. she might have been pregnant before. Yeah, she would have. Right. She yeah, would've, she Gin- would have been pregnant with Ginny before Voldemort's fall. Yeah, because yep. Ginny's born August 11, 1981. Yep. 
Jenny's a Leo too. Yeah, she is. So she would have gotten pregnant with Jenny like shortly after. Yep. Wait, right. no. Cor- I'm no. sorry, I'm conflating Harry's birth with Voldemort's fall. No, you're right. Yep. Yeah. It's a year yep. after. Yeah. Yep. He fell in October right. of eighty one. Yeah, it's October. Yep. Which hold on a second. What I really want to know is Oh, then the Jenny fucker. was born. Jenny was born, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then it tracks exactly. Huh. Yeah. Good, I, I don't know. Good call, Jesse. Sorry, I also wonder a little bit. So, like, Molly has two brothers who were both murdered during the war, mm-hmm. who I'm pretty sure Fred and George are sort of, like, sort of named in honor of. And okay. I th- Their names are what? Gideon and Fabian. I mean, R and G. Yeah. I mean, F and G. Yeah. So I felt so sad when I found out that they were both her brothers because, like, I thought that Canon, her brother, was gay and married Aww. for, like... My whole childhood. And I was like, God damn it. I mean, they might, maybe they, I mean, bury your gaze. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm interested in thinking about the fact that there's all this going on with Molly. And yet she takes in Hermione and Harry every summer as soon as they meet Ron because they come from abusive households. She doesn't seem to do this with any of her other kids' friends. Wait, other... are we saying Hermione comes from an abusive household? That's our yeah, that's how we read her. Oh. Just because I've because this. because of her hyper vigilance and her just yeah. sort of anxiety and okay. her internal pressure on herself to succeed. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. just kind of like and the fact that she is always at Ron's house before Harry is every summer. So we yeah. read that as, like, Molly knows something about Hermione's home life that, like, Hermione hasn't shared with Ron and Harry. Because otherwise, like, why? Yeah. She, and so it's like that. And then she, like, leaves. She, like, doesn't go home for, like, Christmases. There's a time that she goes home for a Christmas yeah. and then is like, oh, I actually hate skiing. LOL. I came back to school early. So there's just a lot of her like opting opting out of the very limited time yeah. that she could be spending with her family. Yeah, I mean I think that Molly wants to be mm, I think Molly wants to see herself as nurturing and loving. I think that's part of her self image doesn't necessarily track onto reality. Um which I empathize with a little bit. Not because, again, like, no excuses for Molly's terrible parenting. But parenting is really hard. And you have to do it 24 hours a day. And there's no breaks. And it's really exhausting. And it's really hard not to lose your shit. And it's really hard not to scream at your kids. Because kids scream at you. And especially... If you come from an authoritarian background, you know, all of your early training tells you, like, oh, I just have to get the kids to stop. Right. Um, And so I think for parents who are kind of running on autopilot, who aren't doing the really hard work of, like, delving into, like, oh, but why do I think that? Oh, is there a better way to deal with this? It's really easy to just become... The screamy parent. Right. Yeah, that moment where, like, you say a thing and a kid is like, why? And you think about it and you're like, I literally have no idea. 
Like that's yeah. such a like humbling moment. And I like Absolutely. always was like, I'm just going to be, I, I don't know. I'm tired and yeah. I don't want to be here anymore. That's the reason. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have yeah. a reason for you. We just still have yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know. Like, I mean, m- my kid is like, she's super sweet and she's super, you know, thoughtful and she's learning how to empathize sometimes and she's figuring it out and she's a really really great like creative funny smart kid she has still slapped me in the face and screamed i don't love you at me yeah like that happens because kids don't understand that their actions hurt other people mm-hmm. Until a certain point, right? Like, they just, their brains can't do it yet. Yeah. And I think that it's really hard not to, hmm. It's like kids are weird because you have to talk to them like adults some of the time. But then you also have to remember that they don't have, they're not playing with a full deck. They don't have all the tools that adults have. And so part of empathizing with them is recognizing that they actually don't understand cause and effect yet, or they don't understand, they can't do empathy yet, or they, whatever. And I think a lot of people, a lot of parents, kind of get that backwards, where they don't, they don't explain things to them, they don't talk to them like they're people, but then they expect them to have all of the reasoning and logic of an adult Mm -hmm. when they literally can't, and that combined with exhaustion can make it very, very easy to snap. It can make it very easy to yell at kids if you don't know other ways. It can make corporal punishment seem very attractive. So I don't think Molly Weasley has bad intentions, but I still think she's abusive, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think I said in the email that I see the Dursleys and the Weasleys as kind of the difference between abuse and bad parenting, but they're both actually abusive. It's just that the Dursleys are abusive in a way that we almost across the board in our culture, we recognize what the Dursleys are doing as abuse. The Weasleys abuse is more insidious. It's emotional, psychological abuse. That I would argue is largely unintentional. I don't think that Molly Weasley wants to hurt her kids. But intent isn't magic. Right. <laughs> magic. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it, at a certain point, intent is irrelevant. I mean, that's the shit thing about parenting, right? Is, like, people, like, I think a lot of people, especially, like, in our generation, want to be, like, the way that you, like, make peace with your, like, life as an adult is recognizing that, like, your parents are human. And I, like, basically reject that, where I'm, like, if your parents wanted you to know that they were human, they should have, like treated you like made you realize that when you were a child by like being real with you and also like as a parent you don't actually get that you don't get like you don't get that I don't know I was just talking to a friend of mine about like she's having a really hard time with one of 
her kids and like they just like have different communication styles and they're having a really difficult time she's going to therapy to figure out how to connect with her child (laughs) she has two other children she's like but i'm having a hard time with this and i don't I want to make sure that we're okay. It's important right. to me. So I am going to therapy so that I can figure out how to communicate with my child. Like, that's what you have to do. You Absolutely. don't just get to be like, I'm a human, therefore, nothing. Right? Like, too bad you made a kid. Absolutely. I completely agree. I I mean, I'm a human, and I have a kid, and I fuck up sometimes. And you know what I do when I fuck up with my kid? Talk to them about it. I fucking apologize and admit that what I did was inappropriate. Right. Like, and that's, you know, I do that for me because I need to, that's the only way I can forgive myself. But I also do it for my kid, A, because she deserves to hear that from the people in her life. If someone treats her poorly, she deserves to be apologized to because that's fucking basic. And also because that's the kind of behavior I want to emulate for her. I want her to learn that there's nothing shameful in admitting that you were wrong. Yep. That that's, you know, that's just what you do versus my parents who had a very like, oh, our kids see us as infallible. So we have to pretend we're actually infallible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like my mom, I feel like was, I don't even know where she landed on parenting she was very much like wanted to be like the best friend parent and so like wouldn't like do any like disciplining um and to this day when like fucked up things about my childhood come up she goes i could never control you i'm like you do understand that you were literally the parent you were actually that's like yeah that doesn't make any sense i was a child like what do you mean which I want to use to, like, tie back to the, like, Molly using her, like, caretaking of Harry and Hermione as a way to, like, build up this idea that she has of herself. Because I feel like that's something that was played out a lot in my childhood. Like, my house was where, when my friends ran away from home, like, they came to my house. And, like, my mom wasn't going to call their parents. She wasn't going to, like, do anything, including talk to them about what was going on with them or if they needed anything she just was going to be like yes of course you can stay here as long as you need which like Mm -hmm. for her I feel like verified this idea that she had of like I'm the cool parent I'm like the good one like my kids friends feel safe coming here I think that's what we see with Molly because we never see her sitting Harry down and being like are you okay? I know that you're not safe at the Dursleys. Should I talk to Dumbledore? Should I, you know, whatever, how can I help you beyond inviting you to stay here? She just lets Ron have Harry and Hermione over and, and then it's, and there, it just stops there. But for sure, I, I think that you're right that she uses that to be like, look what a good, like nurturing caregiver I am. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like the only time we really get any kind of conflict with that is in book five when like Sirius is like, the kids need to know what's going on. And Molly's like, no, they don't. And it's like, but, and it's kind of like. Molly's also, sorry, Jesse. No, I'm sorry. I'm just gesturing. I'm just like, they're not your kids. Like, it's like, this is like, this conversation is like, I think at its root, a good thing, but also kind of like, you probably should have 
I mean, I don't know. I was always on the side of like, let fucking Harry know what the fuck's going on because like it literally concerns his life. Like, but the entire yeah. book series could have been avoided being written if people would have just fucking talked to Harry about what was going on. Like, right? Well, and Molly Weasley specifically is very anti-communication. Yeah. Right. Like she doesn't want to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to talk about feelings. She doesn't want to talk about anything. She doesn't. She doesn't want to learn about her kids actual personalities she just wants to control what she can control and scream about the things she can't control yeah and that's that's pretty much it for her like she's not i think you're right that she doesn't she wants to let Ra or hermione and harry in because it makes her seem and feel like she seems nurturing in a specific way but doesn't want to delve in deeper and do the work with them. But also that's like categorically like how she is. Like she doesn't want to, she's not talking to her own kids about whether or not they're okay and their feelings either. Right. Um, I mean, when the twins and Ron steal the car to go rescue Harry, her response is just to scream at them for a very, very long time. And at no point is her response to be like, why? Like, these kids did this objectively very terrible, very poor decision thing because they knew that Harry was being abused and wasn't safe and no one else was doing anything about it. And I feel like if she had asked them why they did it, she should have had a very, very different response, which would have been like, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you when you expressed that you were very concerned about your friend. You made a very bad decision and we have to talk about it but like your action was rooted in like very very good intentions that and and i personally could have made this not happen had i listened to you when you expressed your concerns right and that's the thing is the entire thing could have and would have been avoided if she had just talked to her fucking kids like yeah i believe somewhere around that exchange there's a there's a throwaway statement about like, oh, well, we were talking to Dumbledore and if we hadn't, if you hadn't heard back from him by X time, we were going to go get Harry ourselves. But the kids didn't know that. Right. Because of course the kids didn't know that because Molly doesn't talk to her right. kids at all, except to scream at them for not doing the right things. Yeah. Or to like passive aggressively like hint at them that she doesn't like their hair or their earrings or their fiancés. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, God, like, what is Ron's actual favorite color? Does Ron have an actual favorite color, or do we just know that he hates maroon? Like, that's so sad. I would I would go out on a limb and say that it's orange, since it is the Chudley Cannon's color, oh, yeah, and the entire interior of his room is orange, oh, which is, like, Ronnie. not even subtle. It's like, oh. Molly, go into his room, make him an orange sweater. Like, is it yeah. this hard? <laughs> like, that's, like, even worse. It's like she was just... <laughs> She was just assigning colors to her sons as they grew. And then, you know, by the time she got to Ron, all that was left was maroon. <laughs> That's tragic. That's tragic. I think it is. And like, you know, she's like hand dyeing that yarn herself. So it's not even like they were like she didn't have any other color options. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Molly's a piece of work and Arthur is a piece of work. But it's also, like, they're both a piece of work, (laughs) 
they're both a piece of work. And then when the book shows us what we're supposed to inter- like, what we're supposed to be like, oh, you guys are shitty parents, like Dumbledore's family and the fucking Gaunts and just fucking Snape's family. And then you're just like, God damn, literally no one has a good, f- no one has like just a regular ass family in this series. Like nobody. I think no. Seamus's mom is pretty all right. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. She's okay. Wait, this, but but the same mom who didn't tell her tell her husband that she was a witch. I think she's all right to Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me clarify. Bingo. Wait, what about what about Luna's dad? Like he's a conspiracy theorist, but he might be comparably a, an almost decent parent. I feel like he treats Luna too much like an equal. Maybe that's true. I feel like Luna's mom was a good parent. It's so they killed her. When you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. That's that Disney movie syndrome. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So many dead moms, just dead moms for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dean might have a good family. Aren't but aren't, aren't Dean's family muggles? Yeah. Well, his mom is. Yeah. He doesn't know who his dad is, which like as the, like, one canon black person in the book is, like, super fucked up. Okay, wait. Speaking of the only other black person, uh, Blaze Zanzibi's mom seems fucking rad. I mean, she's a hero, <laughs> but is she a good mom? Those aren't I mean, the same thing. <laughs> Blaze isn't a Death Eater. There you go. I mean, okay. He's but still he alive like, at the end of book seven. He denies that he would be attracted to Ginny because she's a blood traitor. He's not That's not great. Really nice. Again, I feel like all of these parents are setting the bar incredibly low. <laughs> for like, we're looking for like, we're not even looking for like a good parent. We're like, what would it be like a halfway decent normal parent who doesn't can't totally suck? One. And it's so hard to find any that like, like, oh... That one, like, maybe didn't emotionally abuse them constantly. <laughs> maybe just sometimes. I, I almost said Hagrid's dad, but do we want to talk about how weird it is that he, like, fucked a giant? No, we're going to wait oh on God. the, like, logistics of that <laughs> until we have to talk about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I can't even, like, the point at which Hagrid asks Madame Maxime which parent of hers it was that was a giant is like that conversation is going to be the entire episode (laughs) oh my god I don't even okay I guess there are like weird sex charms I don't know like anyway guys artificial insemination is very simple okay that's that's science again (laughs) you know what else is simple engorgement charms Stop. Okay, we're done. <laughs> this is not the time. We've already been talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh yeah. God. Harry Potter is a book full of terrible parents and dead Awful parents. parents. I, f- I feel like... Parents. And sometimes terrible dead parents. Yeah. So. We, we should probably use this as our conclusion to this episode because we have been talking for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that we want to say before we wrap this up? Yeah, no, there's... I don't think so. We might have to have you back on for our next Pride Month to talk about these other things that are that you wanted to talk I'm about. I'm sorry, I just, like, realized how ridiculous my list was. I just was like... I, 
I like your list. It's fine. You don't need to be sorry. It's good. Okay. I just like, this is what I do. (laughs) I was just telling our neighbor team last night that uh, when my partner and I, when we got together, we had a mutual friend who we were both talking to about our relationship for like a couple of weeks, which was very awkward for them. And I'm sorry, Billy. (laughs) But apparently, I don't remember this, but it was in their wedding speech that apparently I at some point said, I don't know why this person would like me because all I do with my life is talk about Harry Potter to my cats. (laughs) And I guess that was like a draw for them. So yeah, I, I feel like that's pretty common. Like when I have friends who are like, I did this terribly embarrassing thing in front of my crush. I'm like, that's adorable. I don't know. That <laughs> yeah. th- definitely they like you more now that you did that. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. It's like either they like you more for it or that just means you're probably not a great match and that's right. fine. Okay. So we're going to wrap up. David, where can the people find you? Tell us your blog. Do you have a social presence? What's your sitch? I have a WordPress blog called post-nuclear era um which is kind of where i rant about parenting feelings and adjacent stuff um and i guess i have an instagram and facebook account under the same name so that would probably be the best place for folks to start in addition to having my professional writing sort of scattered across the web yeah and we'll link to that in our show notes yeah also people should check out your instagram to see photos of your fucking adorable ducks your duck flock what is a group of ducks called a gaggle yeah no that's geese flock flock thank you for listening to the gaily prophet (laughs) (laughs) we are still having a pride month sale because it's still pride month And so until the end of this month, you can go to thegaylyprofit.com and use the promo code QUEERWITCHES, all one word and all caps, to get 13% off all of our merch because 13 is a witch number. And you should do that. Give us your gay dollars, but also your straight dollars. We really, it doesn't, we just want, we want your dollars. (laughs) That would support uh, independent queer media here. And, uh look cute doing it um you can find us on the interwebs on instagram and on facebook at the gaily prophet you can also find us on our really sweet website thegailyprophet.com you can buy our awesome merch in our shop find our posting schedule of these here pride interviews and look at our awesome comics by theo julian forrester you could also become a patron of us on patreon we post exclusive episodes with fanfic in it and funny screenshots and other entertaining things on Patreon. So Yeah, it's pretty good. Check us out there. We also are currently posting Jessie's fanfic that she wrote. We are posting Jessie's fanfiction when we get at least five more Patreon nope, subscribers nope, this I'm, month. I'm because it now. I feel very subconscious <laughs> about my fanfic. Promised. <laughs> Jesse's fanfiction. Oh my god. See? You it's promise. So so self-conscious. Give me give me give me your gay dollars and you can get my fanfic. We're gonna put it at the, the five dollar and up level. You can get Jesse's fanfic. You can't get it for a dollar. It's she's not that cheap. That's 
<laughs> My, the amount of anxiety about it is worth more than a dollar. Sorry, y'all. Um, <laughs> yes. Relatable. <laughs> if you want to just look at photos of me eating soft surf because <laughs> it's that season. Uh, I'm, on Inst- I'm on Instagram at live from Detroit and on Twitter at Jesse dash Detroit underscore Jesse underscore Detroit. <laughs> I know, I know what I know where I'm at. <laughs> All right. You can find me on the internet at larkmalakai.com. That's L A R K M A L A K A I.com where you can learn about all the various things that I do with my time, such as giving advice, helping people feel better and training your doctors to not suck at dealing with trans people. So you should go there and look at those things. You can also find me on Instagram at Lark Malachi and at Radical Healer. All right. Uh, our theme song is by Kevin McLeod and our logo art is by Theo Julian Forrester. And both their information will be in the show notes. Until next time. I I hate bi erasure, but I'm totally okay with Peter erasure. <laughs> <laughs>